What does Giannis, Beard, and Steph Curry all have in common? Well, obviously, they're all top 10 players. They're all all NBA players. But I think that all three of them are also at crossroads in their careers. Is this prisoner the moment or we're just trusting what our eyes are showing us? It's early in the NBA season, but let's get into it. It's the NBA Cypher. Let's go. The Houston Rockets are 0-2. And everybody knows the situation with James Harden and management and how James Harden wants out of Houston. How the Rockets right now are franchise in flux. But I want to remind everyone, they're 0-2 minus John Wall and the healthy boogie. James Harden clearly looked out of shape in the preseason. And it's still not all the way back right now. But even being slightly out of shape, still trying to work himself into shape, the first two games of the season, James Harden is averaging 39 points a game, 12 assists per game. He is an offensive juggernaut. Yes, he has his flaws, and he can be too ball dominant at times, but there are a list of players that that would apply to. I want to remind people when they say they wouldn't trade for him. Eight-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA. Early in his career, in a lesser role, six men of the year, he's an MVP. He's led the league in scoring three times. The last three seasons, 34, seven assists, 36, seven assists, 30, and eight assists, and then 29 and 11 assists, he led the league in assists that year while dropping 29 points. Being offensively special, unique, is not new for James Harden. And like many other superstars, the criticism of him is he's never won a title. But if you look at the list of great players in the Hall of Fame, that have never won titles, it is a much longer list versus the guys that have won titles. There are going to be new additions to the Hall of Fame in the next few years. Tracy McGrady, great player, incredible score. He's never won anything. Vince Carter, never won anything. It happens. AI, one of my favorite players, never won anything. Go back deeper. Ewing, Barkley, Malone. Stockton. What about Mitch Richmond? What about The Rock? He never won anything. Chris Webber never won anything. I know that when the spotlight is on a guy and you are known as that guy, the franchise player, if that franchise should come up short, you deserve more than your share at times of the criticism. The same way you might get more than your share when things go the other way and you win. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no question that James Harden is a great player, that he's a superstar talent. He's a franchise player, but not every franchise player is destined to win titles. It just doesn't work out that way. 
for every guy in the NBA who has a great charmed career, there's somebody on the other side who puts out monster numbers, goes to as many all-star games, makes as many all NBA teams, but doesn't have that same postseason success. Even in baseball, think about baseball. There are greater individual talents, greater players than Derek Jeter, but they did not have the success in the postseason that he had. Now, he's a great player, but he happened to have played on great teams with teammates who were clutch and made big plays. James Harden has been snake bitten to this point. And now the question is not when he will be traded because he's going to get moved. The Rockets are going to move away from James Harden. He's going to move away from them. That divorce is going to happen. We just have to find out where the landing spot is. But I think being prisoner of the moment, starting to devalue him as a player and saying, if you're a Sixer fan, you wouldn't trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. Right, because Ben Simmons is capable of having a 44.17 game or 17 assists game. Not likely. Matter of fact, he may never have such a game in his career. Ben Simmons, as talented as he is, he seems to be stagnant. The guy that gives you 16, 8, and 8, I think that's the ceiling. Right now, he's an all-star. But people are trying to anoint and push him into being a superstar, and he's not. You have to earn that. You have to establish that. Harden has done that. What he has not done is one at all, but he is not alone in that failure. Not everybody can have that charm career like a Steph Curry. But guess what? At some point, you face adversity. Look at Steph. He's been to five finals, won three titles, two-time MVP, greatest shooter in the NBA. Of all time, in my opinion. But right now, at age 32, can he carry a team to the playoffs? Minus Clay. Even when Draymond comes back, this version of the Warriors is clearly different. No, Wiggins and Kelly Oubre can't shoot the ball like a Clay Thompson. These guys have not come from winning situations also. I, I want to remind people, they're both still only 25 years old. And the Warriors will have to change what they do. Most of what the Warriors did was ball movement, but more importantly, body movement. And guys like Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, they're used to playing more ISO, used to playing more pick and roll and attack basketball. And I think it's early. They're going to have to get used to the way Golden State plays. And maybe to some degree, Steve Kerr is going to have to alter what he's doing with them. Now, a lot of people have already jumped off the bandwagon and said, after three games, they've seen enough. The Warriors are going to go back to the lottery. They're going to have another top three pick. I'm not there. I'm not jumping off that boat. I trust in that front office. I trust in Bob Myers and his brain trust. And I do think that Wiggins and Kelly Oubre will come around and be productive. When you have Oubre, Wiggins, 
Draymond Green, and Steph Curry, along with a talented rookie like James Wiseman, who arguably early in this, this season, in the first three games, I think he's been their most consistent player. I don't think the Warriors are done, not in terms of at least contending for a playoff spot. I know that's a big drop from the Warriors team that we just assumed was going to make it to the finals, but these are different times. And sometimes through injury or age or decrease in ability, your expectations have to lower. This 32-year-old Steph, this 30, 31, 32-year-old Draymond Green, along with this bench that they have right now that's nowhere near as talented or gifted as the one that had Iguodala and Sean Livingston and guys like this or had that basketball IQ and that chemistry that's another thing the Warriors did it wasn't just that Steph and Clay were incredible shooters or that they move well off the ball I've said this before both of them are two of the best screeners in the NBA along with Draymond so when your best scorers and shooters are great screeners, they free up other people. Defenses naturally react, and guess what? The ball keeps moving, and it finds its way back into their hands. This is a different Warriors team. And obviously, Wiggins and, 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 and Oubre have talent, but the adjustment to the way they play, the basketball IQ that's required – to be on that level. And maybe they can't be, they're, they're not going to be Clay Thompson or Andre Iguodala. But I think that Steve Kerr is a smart enough coach to know how to marry those two, that they're both more attack downhill players versus the body and ball movement of the team of the past. He's going to have to find a middle ground. This is no longer, oh, no, the Warriors are coming in town. This is the Warriors are coming, and we think that we can beat them. The Warriors are going to have to find a way to grind out games, and they have enough talent, I think, to still make the playoffs. As far as Steph goes, as an individual talent, I still have Steph Curry as a top 10 player. Now, over the course of this season, could somebody or could he or another player step up and bump him out of the top 10? It's possible. It's very possible. We, if we judge off of what's going on right now, because it's three games, maybe four games for some teams, look, Orlando's 3-0. and They're at the top of the East along with the Pacers at 3-0. and and the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I'm not going to say that those three teams who happen to have the best records in the NBA three games in are going to be the beast of the East when we get to that 72 mark at the end of the at the end of the season. But I digress. Back to Steph Curry. I think that Steph Curry, if he can stay healthy, because the the scary thing here is. When you're dealing with the team that he's dealing with, when you know that your team isn't as talented as before, I think most stars will feel that pressure to try to do more, maybe too much. And you don't want Steph to overextend himself, not to the point where he injures himself. So I think he's got to pick and choose his moments this season. In their heyday, when the Warriors were going back to back, to back in the finals. The question was, was Steph Curry 
as good as advertised because he was a two-time back-to-back league MVP. We had a heated debate at that time. And what I said was, he's a superstar in the sense that he changed not just the landscape with his shooting and their style. He changed how you had to defend a guy who could shoot the way he and Clay could shoot, the way they moved off the ball. No, Steph has a nice handle, but he doesn't have an attack handle. His handle more an escape handle. He's not as explosive or dynamic as Damian Lillard off the dribble. He might actually have a better handle, but he can't explode by you the way Dame can. He doesn't have Dame's athleticism. He doesn't blow by you like a blur, like a John Wall or a Russell Westbrook. He doesn't wow you with the mid-range jump shot or freeze you like a Chris Paul does. Steph Curry, part of his handle, if you will, is his body movement. It's him coming off of screens. It's him cutting back door on you. It's him coming down and launching from 45 feet, and that being a good shot for him. So, yes, I think Steph is still a top 10 player. Can he carry them to a playoff berth? I believe he can. He'll need help, obviously. He'll need a better version of both Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. Having said that, before the season, I thought that Andrew Wiggins could just be a better version of Harrison Barnes, more athletic, a more natural scorer. I don't think Wiggins was ever cut out to be a number one or number two option. I think in his proper role, Andrew Wiggins is a third or fourth option. Not because he lacks the talent to be a number one option. He lacks that thing in your chest, that gut that it. He seems to, too many times, be content with doing just enough. And your first or second or even third option can't be that guy. Andrew Wiggins, maybe his perfect position, his perfect role on a good team would to be a six man. Coming off the bench, Lou Will style, or coming off the bench like Jay Crossover, someone like that who can drop 16 to 20 on a given night. But when you're coming off the bench, it's not always expected. That might be his proper role. My point is this, big picture. Yes, Steph is a top 10 player. No, I don't write the Warriors off. I, honestly, I don't write anybody off three games, four games into a season. The same way I'm not saying that the 3-0 Orlando Magic are going to be in the NBA Finals. My Lakers just went 2-2 tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are 1-2. The Toronto Raptors, one of the best teams over the last few years, are 0-2. Prisoner of the moment is a real thing. Let's transition. Because this also applies to Giannis' Milwaukee Bucks. When a guy can do what he can do physically, be that imposing a player, be able to impact a game because of his own physicality, while he's not as big as Shaq or Alonzo Mourning or someone like that, his length, his agility, his athleticism, it makes him unique amongst centers. The problem I have with the Bucs, not that they're one and two, it's early in the year. And he and Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton and company are finding their way. 
I think they upgraded at the top of the roster. Drew Holiday's better than Eric Bledsoe every time, 24-7, 365. He's a flat-out better player. If Drew Holiday has a flaw, it's that a coach needs to stay on him to stay aggressive. An aggressive Drew Holiday is a special basketball player. When Drew Holiday is deferring too much, he's much he's a much lesser version of himself. The flaw with the Bucks when you're going top to bottom is this year's bench I don't think is going to be as good as previous seasons, which means Middleton, Giannis, Drew Bledsoe, uh, Drew Bledsoe, I'm killing myself. <laughs> Drew Holiday have to be better versions, the very best versions of themselves. Dante DiVincenzo, 24 years old. I think DiVincenzo clearly is ready for a bigger role in this rotation. Right now, starting off shooting great, over 50% from the floor, over 60 from three, 13 points a game, three rebounds, almost two assists. I think DiVincenzo is going to have a breakout season. They're going to need a lot more, though, from Brooke Lopez, a lot more from Portis, Pat Connington. Bryn Forbes is a really good catch-and-shoot three-point guy. His problem is he struggles on the defensive end. I, I, I really think that Milwaukee is going to have to make a move to give them some more firepower on that bench because right now that rotation, I, I just don't see it. And And – to, to get into Giannis, great player. He is a franchise player. He is a you have to look at him, like I said before, many a times. He's a center. And when you have a center who doesn't live on the perimeter, not the not in the traditional sense of the way the game is played right now. He's not Joker. He's not Carl Anthony Towns. He's not even Embiid in terms of shooting from the perimeter. He is an in-the-post, restricted area, um, catch it at the free throw line and attack. That's where he does his work. And I love it that he's not afraid to take threes. This season, he's taken over five threes a game. The problem is he's only shooting 25% from three. He's not helping his team out. I, I would much rather him not shoot that many threes. But more importantly, when you're the number one option, when you're the guy and you get to the foul line 12 times a game, you got to shoot better than 58% from the from, from free throw line. You can't do that. If you get to the free throw line 12 times a game in the playoffs and you shoot less than 60%, teams are going to hack you. Jan, I, I don't care about the three-point shooting. But he has to get, if he can get his free throw shooting up to around 70% and be that consistent, just that alone will make him have an even bigger impact on games. Chris Middleton has actually played lights out, and he's always been an efficient shooter 53% from the field, 45 from three. He's not missed a free throw yet. 26 points, six rebounds, seven assists. I think those are numbers that he can sustain. But he actually needs more from Giannis. He needs more from Drew Holiday. Is Giannis top 10? Of course he is. Is he a franchise player? No doubt. Can he be the best player on a title-winning team? I think he can be. But he has to be more than what he is. I've heard 
pundits. I've heard guys on different networks. I've heard Kendrick Perkins talk about empty numbers. Yes, you can book him for 26, 29, and 13. But in the playoffs, if you just get there and not be more than that, if you just settle, if you can't make your free throws, that's a problem. My biggest problem with the Bucks, not just early this year, but last year in the previous season, their offense is the exact same offense they've been running. They've made no changes. They hand him the ball at the free throw line, and if he's single covered, he attacks. Sometimes when he's doubled and it is a wall, he's a, he attacks. Most of his fouls are offensive fouls because he forces the issue. One, because he doesn't trust his jump shot. But two, people don't fear the Bucks shooting because they don't have a lot of great shooting. And I really do think for them to go to another level, yes, he has to be a better version, but they have to get another shooter. They have to get another creator. To the bigger point, of course, Harden, Steph, Giannis, franchise, superstar players. But again, look at where each franchise is. The Bucks are committed to Giannis. He signed the extension, so he's going to be there for a minute. But the Bucks, as a whole, they're not a young team. Not when you look at their core. And I don't think this roster is built to win a title. And I don't think this is the best version of Giannis. Remember, he's 26, still elevating, still improving. But I still think in the end, the Bucks are a year away. I think the Warriors are going to always be in the hunt throughout the season, barring major injury. And I say barring major injury because John Morant got hurt, left the game with an ankle injury. We hope it's nothing because he is one of the young stars that's going to lead the way in this league for the next 10 years. Spencer Dimwitty, talented player on the net, out for the season. Carl Anthony Towns, cat, he's got a broken wrist. He's going to be out for who knows how long. Injuries can change the whole trajectory of a season. And Steph is already dealing with the loss of his sidekick, Clay. Draymond hasn't played yet. And he's got some young players that right now are not handling the pressure. James Harden, he's putting up numbers while at the same time distancing himself from the franchise that he once loved. He no longer wants to be there. And I don't think they want him there, but they're going to move him in their own time, which is what they should do. And when they get the best deal possible, once Boogie and John Wall come back, if Harden is still a member of the team, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. They may very well click playing together and at the same time not wanting nothing to do with each other. Speaking of the three teams in the East, Orlando, the Cavs, along with the Pacers, of those three teams that I think is going to sustain how they're playing, I'm going with the Pacers. Obviously, they were in the playoffs last year without their best player, Demonis Sabonis. Now he's back. You take Sabonis along with a Malcolm Brogdon. 
T.J. Warren and a healthy Victor Oladipo. I'm not going to go so far as to say they have a big three, but I would say they have a, a, a very unique core four, a versatile core four. Sabonis is clearly their best player. Now we can debate who's their best perimeter player. If you want to live in potential world, you're going to say Oladipo. But if we're going to go in the now, I think Brogdon has been just as effective over the course of the last few seasons. But if all is right and you've got a healthy Brogdon and Oladipo on the perimeter to complement what a guy like TJ Warren can, can do, and then you've got Sabonis, who is a beast in the restricted area, who also has the ability to step out and shoot from 12 to 15 feet and has made himself into a better facilitator. It's early, but right now, 24 points a game, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. He is a bear, and you have to double him. That's how much force he brings on the post. If Oladipo can take a step back, and it is tough. Look, just two or three seasons ago, we were talking about him on the verge of being a superstar. And injuries have kind of altered his ceiling. But that doesn't mean he can't still be an all-star. That in a different role, even if it's a lesser role, he can't help a team win. If he can accept the fact that on this team, he's not the number one option, but the two or three. And look, that's less work on his body. The game is easier for him if he can understand that they run their offense through Sabonis that Brogdon is capable of scoring and facilitating, that T.J. Warren might be the perfect fourth option. Then you throw in somebody like Miles Turner, who I know some thought was going to be a star. Maybe his ceiling is just a very good, versatile player. But this Pacers team, when you look at Doug Buckets, T.J. McConnell, and Aaron Holiday, They've got a solid rotation. And that core four, that core four, if they can maintain and stay healthy and stay together, they're going to be a problem going forward in the East. I'm not talking championship, but I think this team is capable of a deep playoff run, especially when you look at, we've talked about this before, how in the in, in the offseason, it's not just about the talent that you go after. It's the talent that you retain or the talent that you lose. I think the Celtics have two of the best young wings in all the NBA. It's not even close. But the loss of Gordon Hayward, I think, hurt their rotation. Gordon Hayward gave them another person who could create off the dribble, facilitate, and give you 18 to 20 points on a given night. They haven't replaced that. Then you factor in that Kemba's been out. And even last year in the playoffs, his knees were a problem. He wasn't quite as quick. He was a lot, they, teams were going after him. Teams were able to defend him easier. I think Danny Ainge is looking to make a move. And you've heard the rumors of James Harden. That may be a reality, but it will come at a cost. So, I'm not sure he's looking to get hardened, but he's definitely looking to bring in another star caliber player. They need that. I like the addition of Tristan Thompson for them because that gives you a double-double guy 
and he's physically bigger than Thais or Tice, so that gives them a little bit more size up front. Plus, with Tice coming off the bench, you're a little bit deeper. You've got more depth. Where they're hurting at is everything right now offensively is on Tatum and Brown. And they're up for the challenge, but they need that third guy. Marcus Smart is your do-everything guy, but he's not a natural scorer. He's not a fluid offensive player. That's not the strength of his game. What Marcus Smart does is lock people down defensively. He does those intangibles. He takes charges. He hits timely threes, timely passes. He's your utility guy. He's your, let's call him the Celtics' Andre Iguodala. I think the Celtics, when you look at the contenders, and, and now with the loss of Dimwitty, I think the Nets, who, by the way, just went, they are now 2-2. Two and two. I think both of them, te- those teams, those contenders, along with the Raptors, because I really think that most of us, including myself, thought OG Anubi was going to make a little bit of a leap. I'm not talking star, but I thought you saw the signs of him elevating. He definitely elevated his game in the playoffs, and he's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment, at least to start this this season, along with Siakam, who, when you look at Ibaka leaving, Gasol leaving, you knew that they were going to need more from those guys, along with Van Fleet in the leadership of Cal Lowry. And I think right now, the Raptors, while you still have some of those guys from that year they won the title, they're struggling with their identity. It's early. I want to remind everybody, when I started this show off, prisoner of the moment is a real thing. It's kind of a, a, a joke between me and one of my partners where we'll see a player have a great game or have a couple of great games and say, I don't want to be prisoner in a moment, but. Well, we're at that but. I'm not going to be prisoner of the moment. I'm not writing off Golden State. The fact that the Lakers are now 2-2 two and two changes nothing. I think the Lakers, barring a major injury, are going to repeat. I like the fact that Dame's Blazers are 2-1, and one, but I do not believe that Dame's Blazers are going to be in the conference finals. I don't see the firepower, and more importantly, just like last year, they don't guard anybody. Robert Covington will help, but he can't guard everybody. Right now, the Blazers seem very much like the same team they were last year. Offense was never a problem. The problem is they don't get stops. And if you can't get stops, you're not going to go on a deep playoff run. On the next Cypher, H and I will do our top 15 players in the NBA. Plus, we'll ask the question, which young core do you prefer? Trey Young and John Collins or Brandon Ingram and Zion? That's coming up on the next NBA Cypher. Next time.